0: Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, it's Kathy Parker, a coach's wife who saw an ESPN documentary about an Alaskan school that had just begun a football program. She felt led of the Lord to help provide artificial turf for the frozen terrain. That opened the door for the building of relationships. You'll get a glimpse into that story coming up. Then, Pastor Mark Moore of Christ's Church of the Valley in Phoenix has developed a new way for Christians to learn biblical truth, and he shares about adding to your Bible knowledge that's ahead. Plus, from Focus on the Family, Judicial Analyst Bruce Hausknecht brings some insight regarding the view of religious liberty as envisioned by our nation's founders as a backdrop for his analysis of religious freedom today in America. And on this edition of The Intersection, comments from Michelle Watson, who places a special emphasis on encouraging fathers, highlighting the relationship between dads and daughters through the ABBA project. Finally, from Christian Educators Association International, David Schmuz provides information relative to the work of CEAI and shares comments about a new survey that the organization has just released, which shows how Christian teachers interact with their students. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Kathy Parker learned about the launch of a football team in Barrow, Alaska from an ESPN documentary and was inspired to take part in the provision of artificial turf for the frozen terrain that the school football team was playing on. This opened up the opportunity to build relationships between the football team her husband was coaching in Jacksonville, Florida, and the Barrow team. She's written a book called Northern Lights, One Woman, Two Teams, in the Football Field that Changed Their Lives. Here now is Kathy Parker.
1: It was ESPN doing a special on a community, the most northern American settlement, Barrow, Alaska, and how they had implemented a football program to turn around uh, some of their social problems and help kids stay in school. And we watched as, you know, they... They showed this community um, on the uh, frozen tundra, so they cannot grow grass. So they played on this gravel field, and, and they asked the kids how many had ever played football before, and only two um, had ever even played the game. And it was just an amazing story to watch. And it was very controversial because no roads going in and out of the community, so they'd have to fly to – play their closest opponent which was 500 miles away oh my goodness. and um and it was just you know a lot of obstacles like that and a lot of uh, they did a lot of interviews with educators that were like you know it's a waste of money because it doesn't impact but just a few you know a small number of children that kind of thing and you know but my husband and I we, we both were just like wow you know that they were you know trying to turn around things using a sport and you know the thing about athletics is, it is something that can bridge gaps. It is, some, if done the right way, and it can, it can really change a community. And we were very, very fortunate um, at Bartram Trail High School, um, outside of Jacksonville, Florida, to have. Uh, a godly coach coach daryl sutherland in fact he just he just uh got an award for a national award uh, for the coach of the year uh, for high school football and he did things the right way and i we were so blessed that my husband was under his leadership and they implemented a program called men built for others and just you know taught our young men. I loved it because I had three boys in the program and, um, and uh, we have a daughter too, and she's a, she's a phenomenal athlete, but having your kids and, and having my husband in a program where it wasn't just about the wins and the losses. It was about doing things the right way and taking a sport and using it as a tool uh, to develop character in young men. And so, Seeing that um, happen in Barrow, where they were trying to do the same thing, I told my husband, I said, you know, you know, computers and books and all those things that the educators, you know, said were needed much more than, you know, implementing, you know, using money to implement a sport. I said, they may be those things may be good, but that football program that is going to save the lives of those young men. And he said, yes, you're right. And we went to church that Sunday. I couldn't get it out of my mind, and it was like um you know just almost like a vision. Um my husband was overseeing putting in an artificial turf field in our area and it was like the Lord showed me, you know, if, if you need it for your kids, how much more do they need it? So came out of church that Sunday and I, I couldn't wait to tell my family, you know, what I believe the Lord was telling me to do. You know, as we're getting into the car I said, you know, the Lord showed me, I said, We're gonna we're gonna raise the money and we're gonna buy that team an artificial turf field like ours And we're going to teach them how to play football. And my son, my oldest said, Mom, that's impossible. That place has no roads going into it. And you know what? He was so right. He was right on. (laughs) It was an impossible task. But I just started talking about it. One thing led to another. And you know, that's sort of the way God does things. I wasn't the most qualified person. I didn't have, you know, the connections like you said, I was just a coach's wife. I worked full time. My husband and I were both, you know, hardworking, middle-class Americans, you know, trying to raise a family, four teenagers in the home, you know, feeding, you know, our team every Thursday night, we'd have a whole bunch of the boys come over. I mean, we were just scrambling to get through life, you know, but God put that on my heart, started talking about it. And, People started just coming to help people just like you and I just ordinary people hey I can help with this I can help with that and before long we had people on board the best in the business in transportation in the supplying of the products and just an architect the whole nine yards everything we needed God provided we made the announcement of what we wanted to do it hit the Associated Press went over the airwaves, and people just like yourself, you know, sharing the news. And within six months, this team, you know, totally isolated from the rest of the United States, played on a field in front of national media.
0: Kathy Parker here on The Intersection. Her website is Kathy with parker.com The book website is northernlightsbook.com. Next, on this edition of The Intersection, it's teaching pastor at Christ's Church of the Valley in Phoenix, Arizona, Mark Moore. He shared about the concept of the book that he has written entitled Core 52, a 15-minute daily guide to build your Bible IQ in a year. Here now from a recent conversation is Mark Moore.
2: The need I have as a pastor is to help people quickly on-ramp into the Word of God. What we also know is so many people want to know the word of god but they but so few actually do why it's the it's two barriers and bob you, you and your listeners both know what the barriers are it's a big book it's an ancient book it's a big book so i don't know where to start and when i do start it's easy to get lost in along the way you know you get to leviticus and all those sacrifices it just doesn't make sense to people so they don't get a lot out of it so they easily leave it off make sense Mm-hmm. So sure. what what I did after 22 years of teaching, uh, specifically the new, the new Testament, my core was in the Gospels and the book of Acts. But after after 22 years in the Bible and preaching in hundreds of churches over those years, I actually do know what verses people resonate with. And after listening to literally, I, I bet I've listened to 25,000 sermons over the years. I, I know what pastors are preaching on. So I just I narrowed it down to 52 that gives us one a week for a year. That's manageable. But what I also know is that with each of those verses, that verse is an idea, a theological concept that runs the breadth and width of the Bible. So when you learn one of those core verses, so the very first one, Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How many times is creation talked about throughout the Bible? So what we Mm -hmm. do in each chapter is to take the one verse, but to show the shotgun splatter blast of all of those concepts through scriptures. So now a person who's read that one verse, when they just kind of stumble over any creation talk anywhere in the Bible, they go, oh, okay, I get it. I'm familiar with that concept. And when you do that with 52 core concepts based on 52 core verses, suddenly you have an infrastructure that allows an individual to process the entire Bible because they're not getting distracted by the details that are unfamiliar because they have such a common core of what is familiar. How are you able to dig deeper on these 52 passages? So we've designed, think of it as an exercise program. And if you're gonna go to the gym, you're gonna do different muscle groups on different days. For Monday, your muscle group is simply reading the essay. And I've also produced, along with every essay, for those who wanna meet in small groups, we have a little five to six minute teaching video that is on core52.org, so that you've got a website that tracks along with the reading. So day one, you're just you're just reading the essay, getting kind of a a macro view of this verse. Day two, we're going to have you uh, read. Um, we're going to have you memorize the verse. And again, on core52.org, I produce these short little training videos. You watch the video, and you will actually memorize with me on the video that verse. People say they can't memorize verses. You give me three minutes, and you'll memorize these verses. Three minutes. That's it. That's Tuesday. Wednesday, then I'm just going to take you to a Bible story, and you read the Bible story. All this is in the the back back of every chapter of the of the book has five the five day exercises spelled out. So Wednesday, you're going to read a Bible story where the concept is lived out in scripture. Day four, I give you three verses. All you do is sit and meditate on those verses, different muscle group meditation. Day five is application. I'm going to give you one exercise that you go out and do something in 30 minutes that will make that verse sing in your life. So those who are meeting in small groups, if you're doing the exercises, your small group is pretty easy. You just talk about what you read, what you heard, what you did.
0: Mark Moore here on The Intersection. You can learn more at the website core52.org. Bruce Houseconnect serves as judicial analyst for Focus on the Family, and on the day following the 4th of July, he gave an appraisal of religious freedom, including the perspective of the nation's founders. In the course of our conversation, he provided updates on recent Supreme Court activity. From that conversation, this is Bruce Houseconnect,
3: Those men from 1776 and uh... And uh, the 1780s, drafting the Constitution and the, attend, uh, the First Amendment and things like that, they had an eye on uh, what how a country is dependent upon God for its rights. Going back to Jefferson's Declaration, you know, um, the laws of nature nature's God, um, the truths that are self-evident, those come from God. And then he follows up by saying governments are instituted to secure those rights given to us by God. So he, he puts the process into priorities. The first priority is that our rights come from God, not from government. And the second priority is governments are supposed to protect those rights that God gave us. That, that's supposed to uh, set in stone for the rest of the, uh, the life of this nation. Who gives us our our fundamental freedoms and then whose role is it to make sure that those stay our fundamental freedoms? And we've gotten it backwards over the years, haven't we, with with, uh, looking to government to give us everything we think we need from uh, rights to this to rights to that. And that's not the way our founders envisioned it.
0: And when you look at the founding documents, and you mentioned you quoted from the Declaration of Independence, and you can look at a host of founding documents and quotes from the founding fathers, and you can see so much rich material with respect to the foundation of our nation, which is consistent with a biblical worldview perspective, chiefly among them being that rights come from God. And as you said, government is charged with protecting those rights. We can see scriptural passages that support that. Unfortunately, when people refuse to acknowledge the role of God and biblical principles in our nation, then people, well, as we've seen occur in our nation, especially over the last last few years, people look to government as being the the one or being the entity that grants rights, and that never was the original intention.
3: No, it wasn't, and and you hear everyone these days uh, arguing that we have a secular government that religion uh, was supposed to be. Uh, separate, and we have this wall of separation that, that, mean, that means to at least to liberals and the far left that uh, Christianity should have no role in any uh, public policy decision ever made for the country. That's which is complete nonsense. That's not what our founders envisioned. They envision a, a moral and uprighteous people. And John Adams said it said it best in 1798. Our Constitution was made only for a religious and moral people, and and it's wholly inadequate for the government of any other. And he's absolutely right. The Constitution, it, although it provides uh, the the guarantees of freedom of religion, it's basically a, a structure for how we're going to govern ourselves. But the the hidden virtues, the the the. Blood of the nation uh, that courses through our veins—it has to do with the morality that comes from a Judeo-Christian ethic, and it just doesn't work. One doesn't work without the other, uh, and and so we've gotten two hundred years later, we've gotten so far afield from that that we have forgotten. In fact, we we emphasize the opposite, at least uh, at least the secular left does, that their Christianity and religion in general should have no business in in our government or in the daily lives of our nation or in the public square. That's how we've gotten ourselves in as deep a trouble as we have recently.
0: Bruce House Connect here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to focusonthefamily.com front slash social issues. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. There at the homepage, you will find a link to the Media Center through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast. The podcast is also available in the Media Center as well as through iTunes. You can get connected to two blogs, One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. There's also a link to video content. Through faithradio.org, you can find out about downloading the Faith Radio app to your smartphone or tablet. Content from the Intersection podcast. Content from the Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app, as well as a variety of other apps. Learn more when you go to meetinghouseonline.info or visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Michelle Watson is known as the Dad Whisperer. She leads the ABBA Project. In our conversation recently, she shared about the relationship between fathers and daughters here now from that conversation is Michelle Watson.
4: Almost 10 years ago, December of 2009, I was having my quiet time like any other day, reading in Luke 1. You know, in December, where we're all reading in Luke 1 and Luke 2. Sure. And I get to verse 17, where God tells Zechariah that his yet-to-be-born son, John, is going to help turn the hearts of fathers to their children. And clear as a bell, I just heard God say to me, Michelle, That's what I want you to do. And I'm like, what? And you know how when it's God's spirit speaking to you, it it stays with you, right? It's like, okay, it kept replaying in my mind. And two days later, I was blow drying my hair, random detail, and the name The Abba Project just dropped into my spirit. And I was like, Hmm. huh, okay. Abba means daddy in Aramaic, and men love a project, hence the name. So January of 2010, I invited 11 dads whose daughters at the time were my accounting clients. And these daughters were between the, between the ages of 13 and 30, teens and 20-somethings, where I think it gets a lot more complicated and complex for dads to track with, right? A lot more emotion, a lot more verbiage. And so I asked these men, would you want to join me once a month in, for this project? And they, 10 of the 11 said, yeah, we're in. And I had people saying, Michelle, Dads and men do not add more to an already full plate. This shows the need, mm-hmm. the desire, mm-hmm. right? That, that for more tools, their fathering toolbox. And so I just, we, we meet once a month for nine months, September to May, and I just graduated my 10th group of men. And I'm telling you, I, you know, you heard of that book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus?
0: Yes, yes.
4: Right. So that means you're a Martian and I'm a <laughs> Venusian. And so I speak Venusian, but now I call myself bilingual. I speak a little (laughs) bit of Martian, too, now. And I'm helping dads to decode their daughters. So this whole thing, back to your question, started out as an assignment from God, and it is now, a decade later, so deeply embedded in me, I am doing this until my dying breath. I am all in because I'm passionate about dads learning how to turn their heart and not just their head toward their daughters.
0: Well, and I want to actually take our listeners into the scriptures here, because you just mentioned a couple of things here. One is the Abba Project that you founded and that you continue to work with as you lead these small groups. So the name of that project, the Abba Project, that comes from scripture.
4: Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. We have lots of scripture, right, that talks about that. Yeah. Romans 8, Galatians 4, about that the Spirit is saying, I want you to cry out, Abba, Father, which means the spirit is shouting, you've got a dad. Take your pain to your dad. That's how my friend Dr. David Ekman says it, which I just love that picture. I believe that in the heart of, of every woman is a, do- is a desire and a longing to be seen, to be chosen, right, that to be known. Some of that is just fundamental to who we are as people. I want to be known. I want to be seen. But as a daughter, it's that she's looking In the reflection of her dad's face and his being, saying, "Do you see me as beautiful? Do you choose me? Do you want me? Do you desire being with me? Do you like me?" Like whole, kind of has. See how those are kind of emotional words. Do you see me as beautiful? Do you choose me? And when dad doesn't know how to connect with her heart in the way that she needs, or he doesn't know how to answer the question that she's asking, "Am I beautiful?" You know, do you want me? Do you choose me? She's going to go, again, like I say, looking for an answer to that question somewhere else. And I have found in the last decade of, you know, again, interacting with dads primarily is just they're so grateful, Bob, when I'm like, here, say it this way. Or I think if you did this, men are men men of action, right? Men of steel, men of action. Like men, how often are you saying, just tell me what to do to fix it? Hmm. right you're like tell me how to fix it so that's what I'm doing I'm saying dad here's how you can fix that relationship because here's a tool for your fathering toolbox and I say you get all the credit don't tell her where you got it I'm just gonna be in the background whispering to you and you get all the credit
0: (laughs) Michelle Watson here on the intersection learn more by going to drmichellewatson.com Finally, on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, it's the executive director of Christian Educators Association International, David Schmoos, who shared information with me about a new survey of CEAI members that indicates how Christian teachers relate to their students. Also in the course of our conversation, he outlined challenges facing Christian teachers and shared what CEAI does for its members. From that conversation, here now is David Schmuse.
5: The sex ed issue is, is, is huge. Uh, what we're seeing in California, what we're seeing in a few other states, uh, Colorado, Massachusetts, uh, is is you know going to go much more nationwide, I'm sure. And it really breaks my heart because these sex ed curriculums are, in a sense, themselves uh, uh, by by trying to break down the normal innocence and sensitivities that kids have. They're really, in a sense, grooming them. Uh, for, for sexual uh, activity. They're, they're uh, assaulting them, traumatizing them in terms of things they're exposing them to. Uh, these curriculums are, are requiring uh, man, girls and boys to be taught together without breaking them out uh, by gender. Uh, and they're doing things that would uh, really traumatize uh, most you know young, young teenagers uh, that are that, that we worked so hard to keep maintain their innocence as parents and yet they go to school and, and they get desensitized and traumatized and have ultimately really in fact groomed uh, for sexual activity uh, and it's, it's, it's a tragedy and, and it breaks my heart. Uh, the teachers that are that, that we are members of ours that are being asked to teach this stuff, they face a terrible dilemma because On one hand, they can say to their district in general, the laws are written such that they can generally say, I can't do this as a matter of conscience, I can't teach this. Well, if they do that, then what the law directs is that uh, an outside agency come in and do it for them. And essentially what that means is you turn your class over to Planned Parenthood for two weeks. Well, what what teacher in in good conscience that cares about Hmm. their kids who loves the Lord would allow Planned Parenthood to take over their classroom for two weeks? And so, uh, and so they're they're, they're in this cash 22 where if they either try to make the best of it and and uh, you know teach what they can and maybe kind of try to avoid what they can't, uh, or uh, or turn a class over to parent, it really not there's really not a good option. And we are hoping we are working uh, for uh, a Supreme Court decision, hopefully at some point that will uh, respect the rights of conscience of of teachers in, in these situations. As of now. Uh, there are not a lot of options for them. Uh, so what we're generally advising is, okay, how can you teach this? How can you teach what you're okay teaching and try to deemphasize or avoid the stuff you're, you're not okay teaching? Uh, but a lot of that comes down to how close they're being supervised uh, and those issues. And so it's really, it's really a hard, real hard one for us.
0: Well, you're listening to Meeting House here on Faith Radio. We have the executive director of Christian Educators Association International, David Schmoos, joining us today. And, David, I alluded to a survey earlier in our conversation, and this is a poll that was taken not too long ago among CEAI members. What would you say would be some of the principal points that have emerged from this particular survey?
5: Yeah, what we were trying to do is say, okay, we have members, almost all of them have left their unions on the anniversary of Janice. What is a good profile of teachers who have left unions? And And what we found was that 97% of our member surveys say that they pray for their students and 78% say they do so frequently. And that was really encouraging us to hear that. You know, prayer changes things. Prayer can move things on your campus. Um, 63% are involved in students' lives uh, beyond the classroom and outside of regular school hours uh, by serving through club, church, or community activities. And so these are teachers who are engaged, who care. um, And yet 81% of them, uh, did not believe that the national teachers unions uh, represent their values or beliefs and seventy five percent reject the political endorsements of their state unions and if you look at those who 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 answered simply on those questions who answered simply undecided in other words they, they didn't have an opinion uh, you really have about less than five percent were saying that no the unions you know have any kind of uh, representation for me that i that I agree with so so, um, you know, there's thousands, hundreds of thousands of public school educators out there who are not represented by these unions. And, uh, and we want to we make, make our services available to them, let them know we exist so that they have a home, they have protection, they have a place to go outside of their union. Um, some other data we, we came across, 95% of these teachers believe that working in their schools is one way they live out their Christian calling. I know we talk about a lot about vocation in terms of, hey, it's not just about going into the ministry, it's about how do you take Jesus with you in your work. And, and 95% of our teachers are, are believe that they're doing that by being public school teachers. Um, 94% believe they have a strong impact on their students' lives. Uh, and so we just get this, I think, great picture of of these, these mission-minded, uh, intentional educators in classrooms there because they believe they're making a difference for, for the Lord and for these kids. Uh, serving their communities, and that just warmed my heart to see Mm. some of this uh, survey data come back.
0: David Schmuse here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to ceai.org. Well, we are nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Find out more by going to the programming section at faithradio.org or by accessing meetinghouseonline.info. There is a link to the Media Center. You can also find The Intersection Podcast there. You can also subscribe through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible through the homepage. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. The other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. And there is a link to video content, including recently added content from Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the 2019 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Anaheim, California. Content from the Meeting House can be found through the Meeting House homepage as well as the Faith Radio app. Learn more about downloading it for your smartphone or tablet by going to faithradio.org, and through the Meeting House homepage, you can see other apps through which you can access that content. Thanks for joining me for this edition
2: of The Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.